This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. All right. Happy Monday, everybody. God oh, damn, that sounded DJ-tastic, didn't it? That is terrible. Happy Monday. This is uh, January 4th, 2015 slash January 5th. Monday for you, Sunday for us. This, as previously mentioned, is I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting feistily across from me is my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. Mm-hmm. Always feisty. Well, you're you're extra feisty today because you had an encounter at the bank this weekend at a a a branch of a national bank which will remain unnamed. Right. It, it may or may not have rhymed with Ank of Bamerica. Was it Ank of Bamerica or was it Base? No, it actually <laughs> It is uh, Snell's Targo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so inventive. You should have said Fells Wargo. Yeah, I'm not good at things. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it was at uh, at Fells, huh? Yeah, yeah. And there's this new trend, apparently. It's not at all banks, but it's specific to that bank, where every time I walk in, there's someone... In the lobby, before you even get to the oh, counter, I know exactly. They're in attack mode. Yeah, and, yeah. That's, and so you—that's not just that branch. That's that's a new thing in banking. Yeah, and it's before you even get to fill out your deposit slip or anything. It's before you reach that that area. Right, right. And you walk in, and they say, "Hi, welcome to Nell's Targo." <laughs> How can we help you today? And I'm trying to like avert eye contact because I just don't want to deal with this. But I'm like, oh, yeah, hi, I'm here to make a deposit. It's like walking through the mall and people are walking up to you with surveys wanting you to fill them out. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I say, yeah, I'm here to make a deposit. And he's like, oh, great. Well, we have uh, tellers here that can help you with that. I'm like, yeah, I know. (laughs) That's why I'm here for the tellers that are going to do that. Well, they do it as it's. This it's a new thing, and they want to promote customer service because banks have been getting such a bad rap over the course of the last, well, many years since the financial collapse, and they do it as a as a mark of customer service. But if you're slowing someone down, right, who's come in, it's not like they came in to buy flowers. They weren't sure what. It, you didn't walk into the bank unsure of what you needed to do there. Right. It's like walking into Albertsons or any other grocery store and someone being there and like, oh, well, hi, um, how, what are you, what are you here for today? Oh, I came in to buy some groceries. Oh my God, that is wonderful. We have plenty what, here. What a coincidence. We happen to sell a wide array of groceries and anyone in the blue uniforms can help you. Yeah. It's really stupid. It is, and it makes me feel uncomfortable because I already don't like too and much customer service. <coughs> don't leave out angry because I think it also makes you angry. <laughs> it doesn't. I, okay, it makes me a little angry because I just don't like dealing with it. And it puts me in an awkward position because I shouldn't need to stand there and 
you know, be like, yeah, hi, I'm here to make a deposit. Like, can I just do what I'm doing, please? Well, it's like it's like a, an armed sentry who's there to to challenge you with a password. and You have to give the right response. Otherwise, you know, it's not like, oh, what is he, a fucking, the, the, the billy goat's gruff and you've got to, you've got to say a riddle or something. I mean, he. Well, also, it just feels disingenuous. Like, it feels like a forced thing that they're doing to make them look like they have really great customer service when it's an unnecessary element. Right. The only thing you need to do is help me with my deposit and and not have long lines. Well, also, the person who is always asking those questions, invariably, they want to know. It's almost like, oh, well, if you have some some things I'm going to be able to help you with, so I'm going to answer, find out what what it is that you need. Because there's a possibility that I could speed up your transaction. Right. I've never seen that happen. No, that's never happened. It's always, oh, oh yeah, well, just this is the line. The line you're standing in already, this is the line to be in to get your money from the check you're going to cash. Well, and it's also happened where I've needed, you know, to open a new account or to do something like that. And then they'll say, okay, well, come over here and wait here for a couple minutes and someone will be right with you. So it's even that person can't help me immediately with something that the tellers can't do. Right. So they have less of a purpose than a Walmart greeter. Well, they are a Walmart greeter. It's just not Walmart. Yeah, but they're if you're standing in line to cash your check and then they come up and say, "What is it you need today?" you should just answer well, I I need to stand in this line to walk up to a teller to cash my check. Well, and the other thing they do is when there's like 10 people in line or more, and this happens because it's Southern California, and there's so many people and not enough banks, apparently. Right. And there's that many people in line, but then that guy's still just standing there greeting the people when it's becoming a Disneyland ride line. <laughs> and... You know, no he, fast pass though. Yeah, still no fast pass. Still not doing anything to help. It, you know what I mean? You could yeah. be on a station and helping to to make deposits and stuff. Anyway, I used to be a bank teller. No, oh. and so I feel even more annoyed by it because at the two banks I worked for, you know, I really liked one of them, and we didn't do that kind of stuff. It wasn't all in your face when you walk in. Neither one of the banks you work for are any of the, those that we've named today. No. Or that we're using codes for. No. <laughs> no. Both were smaller community banks. I know I know several people who work in accounts and people who aren't tellers but work in banks. And it's a weird turnabout and transition that banks have gone through with how they treat the customer real predatory super predatory right. very there's a lot of goals involved with how many accounts they turn over right that's why every time we go in and cash a check at a bank that we do not bank with right they are strong arming to try to get us to open an account right and i never want to say yeah i used to have an account with you but you're dicks and uh, i'm not a fan yeah, at one of the banks I used to work at, as a teller, I would have sales goals to meet. And the sales, quote unquote, were getting someone to open up a new account yeah, or weird. adding on services to their account. And I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. I don't like selling people on things because I don't like being sold on things. So I don't like doing things to other people that I don't like having done to me <laughs> because I just imagine that I'm talking to someone who's that, just as uncomfortable th- as I am. That could be all kinds of stuff. <laughs> 
Yeah. So there was a woman that worked with me, though, that would sell extra and then put it in my name to take care of me every month. Wow. That was really nice of her. That is super nice. <laughs> because you're a terrible salesman. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, you're, you seem almost proud of being a terrible salesman. I'm not proud. It's just I know what my my weaknesses are. And I what am I going to act like I'm a good salesman? I'm not. Sorry. Yeah. I'm a I'm a terrible salesman too. Yeah, I think that we all know that. <laughs> we can we get that vibe from you. Yeah? Yeah. How so? Just it's very clear you would be bad at sales. Yeah. You're not gregarious or likable and I think it's also that I'm I'm very much an introvert. Mm. That is true. That is something I am not. I, that's something I never get. Like when you hear actors say how shy they are. I'm just, oh, I'm debilitatingly shy. And, right. Oh, yeah, really? You multi-million dollar Oscar winning actor. You're just so shy. I don't know, though, because actors kind of have to have that personality where they're... I mean, it takes a special person to do some of the things that are going on on TV. Like if you lose yourself in the character... That's great. But oftentimes I just like don't get lost in the character and I look at the actor yeah. and they're doing a fake voice. They're I, being I could, eccentric and it takes a special person to like do that. Maybe I'm going a little far when I talk about um, actors in that way. Maybe I mean when comedians say stuff like that, that how shy they are. It, hmm. I don't know how you get to be funny being a fucking wallflower. You know what I mean? Yeah. That just doesn't. It, those two don't mesh with me. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. You, you're just a hater. I'm not a hater. I mean, yeah, I'm a hater. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Today. Well, I guess it didn't happen today. But Mike Huckabee, who a former governor for Arkansas and also former presidential candidate, primary candidate, he he has a show on Fox or had up until a few days ago, had a show on Fox News called Huckabee. <laughs> Was it just Huckabee? Yeah. <laughs> really creative. Super creative. Anyway, Huckabee is a very personable and actually he's actually a funny guy. Mm-hmm. That's, it's one of the reasons he has fared so well in presidential politics, like in debates and stuff, is because he's he's a jokester. He's a, he cracks jokes and he's very personable. Okay, I've never seen him be funny, but I'll take your word for it. Anyway, so he went at the end of his last episode of his famed show, Huckabee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Um, he gave a little speech, and in it, he talked about. How it was his last episode. And here's a little clip from that final speech. But I also realized that God hasn't put me on earth just to have a good time or to make a good living. What? But rather, God's put me on earth to try to make a good life. There's been a great deal of speculation as to whether I would run for president. And if I were willing to absolutely rule that out, I could keep doing this show. But I can't make such a declaration. Now, I'm not going to make a decision about running until late in the spring of 2015, but the continued chatter has put Fox News into a position that just isn't fair to them, nor is it possible for me to openly determine political and financial support 
to justify a race. The honorable thing to do at this point is to end my tenure here at Fox. Now, as much as I have loved doing the show, I cannot bring myself to rule out another presidential run. Oh, be clear, I'm not making that announcement right now. And my timetable is still just what it was before later this spring. But I agree with Fox that this is the right thing, and now is the right time. So he's quitting. He is going to entertain another run for president of the United States, and he has to leave Fox. I don't understand what this game is that they all have to play because he obviously is going to run. He's quitting his show, but he's like, no, this isn't the official announcement. Don't get the wrong idea, everybody. Right, I'm right. quitting so I can run, but this is not the announcement that I'm running. Well, it's just the way it's set up. I've, I've explained it in the past about the exploratory committee. They have to officially start that, and then it, it determines. Are you doing the snore noise? No. You are doing the snore noise. <laughs> I started it. <laughs> Then I didn't. Because you're not the sound person. You're not the sound effects. Right. Go ahead and do it. Let's hear it. No. Come on. <laughs> no. Come on. Let's no, hear it. because it's very much like my ability to do accents. That was me doing that. Oh, right. right. That was mine. <laughs> Just so everyone knows. No one could see. So. so anyway, he has to determine whether he can get the fundraising support, most importantly, but also support... Because once you raise the money, the support from voters can come just through campaigning. So effectively, it's is whether you can you can raise the organization, the national campaigning organization, because you need state chairs of your com of your campaign and all that. But then you also need to raise you know the millions of dollars through donors, right? Volunteering people, to, people give you money. So so he has to do that. But you know, as a person. When he ran in 2008, I didn't I didn't hate Huckabee. I wasn't uh I wasn't anti-Huckabee, but I also wasn't as as energized about the gay marriage issue as I am today and have been for many years. Right. And because of his stance on gay marriage and also some troubling issues related to the constitution, I feel he's not a viable candidate. So I am, I'm withdrawing any support for Huckabee Wright. Not that it matters to anybody other. Oh, well, Jesse didn't like him, so fuck that guy. <laughs> I'm sure it matters a lot. Well, recently he was on a radio show, and they were talking about um, gay marriage and some other constitutional-type issues, and um, he just said some troubling stuff. They're going to say, well, you're touching off a, a constitutional crisis and the like, when in reality, probably what the court is doing is actually touching that off. I mean, you understand that would be a maelstrom, the likes of which it's been a, it's been a many years since we've seen the other two branches exert their authority over the Supreme Court. How would you react to the controversy that would then ensue? I think we would uh, remind people that the constitutional crisis is not when we actually have obeyed it. It's when we utterly disregard it. I mean, I, I look back to 1973, and I'm wondering what would have happened had the two branches of government, the executive and the legislative, simply said, we appreciate your opinion, court, but um, now if states wish to empower that, I guess they can do so. Um, but until that happens, then we're not automatically going to go killing a 55 million babies over the next 40 years. Mm -hmm. If you look at it, Steve, think about the big major cultural changes that have been created as a result as a result of what the courts did, prayer in school, Bible reading, 
uh, public expression of faith, uh, abortion, same-sex marriage. In every case, the other two branches, and for the most part, the, the public, pretty much just capitulated and said, well, the courts have spoken, and that's the last word. As if we all had failed ninth grade civics and realized, well, the courts have spoken, and it's an important voice. But it isn't the voice of God, and the Supreme Court isn't God. And so just because the Supreme Court issues an opinion, however strong, however even uh, purposeful it might be, if the other two branches of government choose not to agree that they have correctly interpreted the Constitution and go on and implement it by enabling legislation and the execution thereof by the chief executive, then it's not law yet. Very dangerous ground he's treading on there because he's really advocating for a theocracy. That the Supreme Court isn't the voice of God. It's not God. Well, you know what? This country isn't your church. And that's ultimately, you don't have the, the President of the United States does not have the authority to just disregard a Supreme Court ruling. Right. If that were to happen, well, if that were to happen, then we'd be Egypt or we'd be some other lawless country where whatever administration is in command right now, what, what other what other constitutional edicts is the president going to ignore? Right. The 22nd Amendment. Sorry, I'm going to run again. I know that the 22nd Amendment says I can only run twice for four years each. But yeah, you know what? Nah. Not that big a deal. I'm going to run again. Right. That's a problem. So he, the conversation went on with this Iowa-based, it's an Iowa uh, radio talk show, a guy named Steve Deese. And uh, they got a little bit further on talking in the same type of, 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 uh, of manner about gay marriage. People are seeing that this really isn't about consensual love. No one was in prison for having a same-sex wedding. No one was being prosecuted for applying or for violating a state's marriage law. That this is really about, in the end, using the coercive force of government to get you to abandon your own moral conscience. And I think the more the American people see that, the more you're going to continue to see support for this decline. I think that's exactly what will happen. Uh, I do believe there were a lot of people who thought, you know, what's the harm? It doesn't really affect me. And now they're realizing, oh, yes, it is going to affect me because the agenda. Remember when we were told that if we would just pass civil unions, that's all they really wanted, the ability mm -hmm. to go to the hospital? Mm -hmm. Same-sex couples said we want to be able to get uh, survivor benefits and insurance benefits, and that's all we want. We really don't care about marriage. Well, as states pass civil union laws, then suddenly it became about marriage. So... It's never been an honest um, situation where those who were advocating the most extreme levels of changing our culture uh, were sincere and straightforward, and I, I, I don't think we've seen the last of it. I, what I'm hoping will happen is that somewhere there will be a governor who will simply say, no, I'm not going to enforce that. I'm not going to, uh, in fact, we're going to say to county clerks across our state, no, you're not going to issue marriage license because you don't have any legislative authority that empowered you to do that. And if the people's elected representatives want to pass a bill and put it on my desk, and if I should so change my mind as to sign it, then you can go get a marriage license. So I wish that he would have finished his thought, because I would love to know how he's affected 
personally right. by gay marriage. Right. He was going to say something, but then he did what most politicians do and quickly like inserted a question randomly instead right. of finishing his sentence. Because I want to know, how is he personally affected by this? It's He's not, and that's why he couldn't name something or list something, other right. than the fact that in his worldview, he wants to live in a Christian-ruled society right. where Christian law... AKA the Old Testament and the New Testament are, you know, just as much as he would hate Sharia law, a Muslim uh, rule over over the courts, he wants that in Christian form in America. And right. It's, you know, he he talks about the 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 coercive force of government and how it, the coercive force of government is going to force us to accept gay marriage, which is going to change our culture. It's the same exact argument that the bigots and the racists used in nineteen in the 1960s against, um, segre against integration and against whites marrying blacks and vice versa. So it's, it's problematic for me because they... None of these people see this and connect the dots to only back to the 60s, to 50 years ago. It wasn't 250 years ago. Huckabee was a young man. He could remember this going on living in the South. Well, another thing I guess he's not recognizing is that it's government. What's the word that he uses? Coercion. Coercion. It's government coercion when you are speaking on behalf of God and trying to implement yeah. things yeah. that you believe God wants. Because not everyone subscribes to your worldview and believes that homosexuality is an abomination. In fact, that's quickly becoming a minority viewpoint. So Very quickly. Yeah. Thank thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the hmm. Wow. You know, the other thing, the other thing, and we'll quickly brush by the fact that you were just shitty to me. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the other thing is what's the problem with changing the culture when the culture is shitty, when the culture is bad, when the culture is damaging? Right. I don't I don't know. It, it's very irritating. It, I just it's so it baffles me. I'll never wrap my head around it. Well, I don't know why people are so afraid of change. It's a good change that's going to happen. Yeah, more people will be treated like the rest of us. Right. And he's like, oh, once they had civil unions, now they want to go crazy with this marriage thing. And it's, well, no, once they won civil unions, the next logical step was, well, if, if they gave us that, we can get marriage now. Right. He's acting like all 50 states were allowing civil unions or something. Well, right. Well, look, we as a whole, as a government, as America, we gave gays civil civil unions and that wasn't enough for them. When in reality, there were a handful, maybe a handful of states that, that enacted civil unions. It wasn't en masse. It wasn't 50 states and our territories. It wasn't that at all. Right. Very few. Very, very few. So Mike Huckabee has some, he's got some issues and he will not be supported by this half of this this broadcast well and it's difficult <laughs> to you know i know you love him but i will not be supporting him right i love him so much and so another exciting thing about 2015 is that the presidential race is going to start gearing up yeah, like right? he said late spring yeah. yeah and so 
you know, eventually the debates are going to start happening and all this fun stuff. And it gets difficult as an atheist to watch those debates sometimes because... Well, I was going to say especially the Republican debates, but they all have their God talk. They do. And it is especially the Republicans. And that's what makes it difficult for atheist voters to kind of reconcile, if even if they have conservative beliefs, to hear them talking about God and basing their their judgments on God and their beliefs on God. And and it gets kind of uncomfortable watching that. Well, I'll just speak for myself. Uncomfortable where, I mean, you can't support it. You just can't support that person. Absolutely not. But here's what I've had to do. It's either I don't vote because there is no atheist candidate. Yeah. And they're Probably won't be for, I don't know, how long. A, a generation. Yeah. <laughs> so th- there is not one. Um, even Barack Obama professes to be a Christian. I don't buy it. I don't even buy that all the Republicans are Christians or deists or religious. But we got to go with what they say. Because in this political climate, in this country, you must capitulate. You must pander to that particular voting block or you will not get elected. I mean, listen, if you think out there in in podcast land, if you believe that these these men and women who are running for president don't know of the poll that atheists are the most distrusted group, then you're stark raving mad. These these men and women are more plugged in to exactly fine-tuned polling results than any group on the planet. Well, because they need to say what they need to say. Absolutely. To appeal to the most people possible. That's right. So they are they are most assuredly plugged into that. And because of that, they will pander in any way that they need to to get elected. And some of them might even use the, the excuse of, you know, the ends will justify the means. So even if I have to tell this little lie to get in so I could do good, you know, I'm not going to completely discount that. I think that that could be there's some validity to that, because as it is now, we won't have any atheist leaders unless they do a little bit of fibbing, you know. So we're moving from a Fox News host, former Fox News host to a little bit about Fox News and coincidentally another thing that had Britney riled up in the last few weeks. Yeah, so I saw this article going around on Facebook and it's A lot of people probably saw it. It's from forwardprogressives.com. <laughs> Let me add that to the list of websites that are not to be trusted. So of course it's, you know, uh not biased and It's already on the list, go ahead. They, you know, I'm sure put a lot of effort into making sure that they're fair and oh, I'm sure. accurate. So the title of this article that I am not a huge fan of says fact checking site finds Fox News only tells the truth 18% of the time. 18% of the time. Right. Meaning meaning 82% of the, everything that is said on Fox News is a lie. Right. It's troubling. It's also impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and look, neither one of us are listen, I know there's listeners out there some of whom I color my friends who think that I am a raw, raw Fox News guy. I am not. There are a couple characters on Fox News that I like. 
That list is dwindling and has dwindled over the course of the last five years when they went from news person to pundit. But what we're talking about here, and we're going to get to the details, is is not a promotion of Fox News, not trying to say how great they are. This is more about if you're going to cite research, cite some kind of data gathering service and talk about it on a website, be honest. Be honest with your facts because there's a lot to criticize about Fox News. There is. But you don't have to lie about it. Because anybody in their right mind knows and anybody who's thinking clearly and objectively knows that Fox News isn't only telling the truth 18% of the time. Right. And so what this is based on is pundit fact. Which is from PolitiFact, right? Right. And so what they do is they take statements from pundits on the show. not Talking heads. Not news anchors that work for the show. Right. Talking heads. So this is already a problem for me. Where it relates to the title of this article. Well, how the facts were represented, or the quote-unquote facts were represented in the article. Right, because it's not Fox News only tells the truth 18% of the time. It's the pundits, the talking heads that are, are that appear. come on the show, right. are not particularly honest. But they're making it sound like the news reporting. Now, let's let's get this straight. When you say they, you mean forwardprogressive.com. Yes. Not pundit fact. No. Pundit fact is being straight up about what they're reporting. Yes. Which is about the pundits who appear. Yes, although I do have some issue with them, and we'll get to that in a second. Okay. But I want to focus on the fact that this article is making it seem like the news is not accurate. That's not the case. And anyone who shared this should be ashamed of themselves. I'm just, I'm being honest. Yeah. Because you're perpetuating misinformation. And people who are not educated are going to go on your wall, see that you posted it. Maybe they respect you. And they're going to read that title. They're going to like that. And that's now going to become a factoid in their brain that they believe. Right. Well, which is the objective of forward progressive. That's exactly what they want. Right. And now it's going to become confirmation bias. Anything they see is going to confirm that. That's going to be a fact in their head now. And it's wrong. Right. And I don't like knowing that people are, are getting worse where it relates to this. They're accumulating information that's not true. So that's something I have an issue with. Okay. And everyone should. Every listen, even if you hate Fox News, hate them for the correct reason. Dislike them for the right set for, for the right data set. Right. Don't hate them because they only tell the truth 18% of the time because that's complete bullshit. And it's based on pundits. Right. People that appear on the show. Now, I I do have an issue with something that um pundit fact posted about Bill O'Reilly. And I didn't look through everything that they, they've they chosen as a statement to address whether or not it's true, mostly true, half true, false, mostly false. This is just one that stuck out to you. Right. And it was, when I go on Letterman, the ratings go up. That's a... Anybody who knows Bill O'Reilly knows that he is a big-headed uh, bloviator. He's a guy who runs his suck a lot. Stephen Colbert obviously based his character on Bill (laughs) O'Reilly for a reason. That's right. Bill O'Reilly is narcissistic. He's hyperbolic. He is a character. Right. So when he says he what he's doing, he did the same thing when Al Gore lost the election in 2000. Well, listen, he only lost by 
just a scant number of votes, had he come on this show, he would have won the election because it could have turned that many voters to his side. He he speaks like that because he's bragging about his ratings, because he knows he has by far overwhelmingly the highest rated news program in his time slot, or maybe overall. I mean, he's he is a he is a juggernaut in the ratings because he is such a goofball. I mean, that's he is. That's what he does. Right. He's a winner at what he does. Right. And so this is something that they they counted among his his record when they were. So they're they're, they're reporting that as being something that he stated to be fact. This is fact. And then they looked and it wasn't true. So they counted among the, the bullshit things. They ranked it as mostly true. It's not something to even be reported on. If exactly. he's talking about Benghazi or if he's talking about Syria or the situation with, with the Islamic State and he says something wrong, report that. Don't report about him bragging about his ratings because that doesn't matter. Right. And then here's another example of something that is just this is something that you definitely need to look at. If, if you're interested in this. I would I do like the site. I think Politifact is good. I think Pundit Fact is good. It's just I don't think you can look at a headline and have them interpret everything for you. I think it's best for you to come look at the website and look at the statements that they chose. And it's actually there should be a question asked as well. How are they choosing these statements? Because that's a curious thing. You know, right, how right. are they selecting the statements? Because there's more from Bill O'Reilly than there is from Reza Oslan. Right. Or Ben Affleck is one of the pundits listed uh, on here, you know. Um, that's funny because Ben Affleck's not a pundit. Right. He was on ex- Bill Maher once. His expertise <laughs> is not in politics. It might be a hobby, but it's not his expertise. He's he's an actor who right. happens to have a big mouth. Right. And a concern for politics, but it's not what he does. Right. So this is something else that Bill O'Reilly said. In 2012, 123 African Americans were shot dead by police. Same year, 326 whites were killed by police. So this is one of their statements they ranked. And they categorized it as mostly false. And the general summary was, government's best data is flawed. Now that would say to me that since the government's best data is flawed, that we don't know. Right. If he's if he's quoting government data, the source which is the most reliable source we have, then how is it mostly false? Because they say the government's data is, is flawed? That was their general overview of it, yeah. That's problematic. And so each of these statements, you can click on their ranking and you can read why they did that. So you can kind of right. get some insight into why they're ranking it like that. And I can see some positive aspects to this. Mark Lamont Hill, who is a pundit on CNN. Columbia um, University professor. Right. He said a inaccurate statement and he found out that it was on Pundit Fact and he released a statement correcting himself. Right. So, you know, there are this is positive. I can see how it would be positive. I just don't I don't want to have it misconstrued to be about news because Brooke Baldwin is an actual reporter. She's not on here. Anderson Cooper is an actual reporter. He's right. not on here. Brett Baer is an actual reporter. He's not on here. You know, there's actual news people, and they're not on here. So when they're talking about the news is re- being reported inaccurately, like they say on Forward Progressive. Right. which is wrong. It's not true. It's the talking heads they have on the show. Well, and that's the difference, and that's really where people need to... That's why I don't like, like Fox News, is because of the fact 
that there are so many pundits. It's more entertainment. It is more punditry than it is hard news. If you look at CNN, you've got you've got uh, Anderson Cooper, you've got Blitz, you've got Brooke Baldwin, you've got Aaron Burnett, you've got real Jake Tapper, Jake uh, J Tap. You've got the <laughs> you've got a journalism organization. Who do they have pundit anchors at CNN? I don't I don't think they do. I, I was trying to think of that today, and I don't think they yeah, do. Yeah, I don't think they do. It's really MSNBC and Fox News. Right, which is, that's the problem with Fox News. If they did more news and less opinion, right. I would watch them more often. Right. But you see, all the people that hate on Fox News love MSNBC. When really, if you want, you know, no bias or little bias, I guess, as little bias as possible, you should just watch the news being reported on CNN. Right. Well, you should watch that knowing that you can go to independent sources. Um, for instance, if you hear data and you hear facts, quote unquote facts, talked about on CNN, go look them up yourself. Go find and do the research yourself. No one should be just listening to CNN and taking it at face value every single time, all the time. And you certainly shouldn't be doing that with Fox News. Because there is a political agenda there within the editorial mechanism of Fox. And you need to be aware of that. But that's the thing. is, if As long as you're aware of the editorial bent by each news organization, then you should be okay if you're smart and you're using your brain correctly. Well, and that's what I, I meant by my original comment, is that there are people that hate Fox News... When MSNBC is doing the exact same yes. thing, except for on the other side of the spectrum, they're trying to, for lack of a better word, indoctrinate people into a certain way of thinking, right? With yeah. the way that they report and the things that they talk about and the pundits they have on. For sure. And that's another aspect to this that we didn't talk about, which is, you know, Dick Cheney's a pundit that's listed on here for saying inaccurate things. And they gave credit, you know, to Fox News for that. And he's on... CNN, he's right. on MSNBC, he's on all the networks. He's on Meet the Press. Yeah, I mean, sure. he 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 goes everywhere as a pundit, and that's true for many of these people listed. So that's another thing to take into consideration. It's not that's just right. another well, credit toward how it's not the news. Oftentimes, these talking heads they will get their talking points from whomever, and then they will make the rounds to all of the different networks, spewing the same bullshit. Exactly. And so if Fox News only gets credit for the bullshit and not the other networks, that's a problem. So I would just disregard pundit fact altogether because it's listen, if it's a if it's if we're finding blaring inaccuracies and blaring deficiencies in what they're reporting, then we're, we've only scratched the surface. But it's it certainly doesn't go as deep as PolitiFact itself. But ultimately, look, going forth. In 2015, I think we talked about this, we need to avoid certain websites. If you're getting your information about the world from addictinginfo.com, you're going to the wrong place. If you're getting it from The Mind Unleashed, you're getting it from... What, what are some others? Green Science. Mm-hmm. Live Science. Yeah. Hi, I shouldn't have to say it, but High Times. Yeah. You're... That's not a credible source. Yeah. 
we've mentioned it. Forwardprogressives.com. Yeah. Conservative Tribune. Yeah. Not not reliable. Well, I mean, it's just they, anything. They make shit up. Also, these are sites that are not going to publish contradicting information that would contradict their side. Right. They're only going to be doing the confirmation bias. I mean, that's really, that's the issue that everyone should have with MSNBC, Fox, all these organizations that have so many pundits and so many shows that are opinion right because all it does is reinforce that rather than having an open conversation and really trying to explore the different viewpoints and different avenues and different ways of thinking about things it, it does it, it really it it bothers me especially about fox news because they've got such a great platform because they are the number one rated cable news network that and it, it's either a problem that i have with fox news or a problem that I have with the vast majority of the American people, or maybe a combination of both. But when they continue to report, the other day, the other day, when the second, when the Asia Airline thing happened. Right. And we find out on Twitter that it happened right away. Mm -hmm. And we wait and we wait and we wait. We're waiting for the news to report. We keep flipping back and forth from CNN to Fox. CNN finally, 20, 30, maybe even an hour or two later, picks up the story and starts reporting on it. And then I keep flipping back just out of curiosity to see when Fox is going to pick the story up. It was hours later, and they hadn't done it. And I took a screenshot of them talking about the war on Christians. Right. It was Judge Janine. Judge Janine. That's right. Mm -hmm. My problem with that is... is Listen, no one else but Fox is reporting on this <laughs> war, this war that's being waged on Christians. No one else mm-hmm. except for Fox. Right. So either Fox is just batshit crazy and they really want to promote this war that doesn't exist against Christians or the other networks are in some kind of conspiracy to black out that news. The news <laughs> of this terrible war being waged against innocent Christians. Yeah. It's a bummer for those Christians. <laughs> it's real problematic. It's it's a well, it, it just it saddens me. And it's why we watch Fox News less and less and less. It is. And that started happening when they gave Gretchen Carlson her own show. So just want to make that note. No, that is when it happened. When they when they when they jumbled around the time slot and Megan Kelly went from news person, although obviously a biased news person, entertaining though, from that from there to her later time slot where she uh, ejected Sean Hannity. Thankful for that. Um, and she's now she's now a pundit. She's now a female Bill O'Reilly. Right. It's and a bummer. We stopped. We stopped watching. Yeah. And we still occasionally catch uh, Shep Smith because we love that guy. But even him, it's. He's on. We we just it doesn't mesh with our schedule, so we don't we don't watch him, right? So you know, another thing I have noticed with people that say they they hate these these news organizations, like when people talk about how much they hate Fox News, can they name anyone on Fox News that they hate? I right. mean, I, I wonder or give specific reasons, right? Because I I feel like the reason I dislike many aspects of Fox News is because of Steve Ducey 
Elizabeth Hasselbeck, yeah. Gretchen Carlson. I, I I know the cast of characters those, that made those, me dislike it. Those are valid reasons not to like Fox News. Right. But if you've not had experience, you, you, you know what? Watch it and see. Find out for real. Don't just hear that, oh, I, I should not like Fox News because I hear everybody else say I shouldn't like it. Yeah, it's like become a popular thing to say. Right, right. Or like a popular thing to talk about for some reason. Right. It's go into it with an informed mind. That's overall all we ask. Inform yourself. And we we try to do that every day too. But and I know it's hard. It gets exhausting. <laughs> but yeah. but you have to. You know, I mean it's really time consuming. But I mean if you want to be someone who's talking about the issues in the news, you kinda you have to, you right. know. All right, let's lighten it up. So Brittany found this we didn't do this for the New Year's show. And it's not really even a New Year's thing. Everybody does predictions and all that shit. But um, Brittany found a list of predictions that the CIA had made for the year 2014. And we're going to take a look at them and see the interesting ones. Right. So that made me want to skip the first one. <laughs> when you said interesting ones. Well, what was the first one? <laughs> Um, international affairs are increasingly determined by large and powerful organizations rather than governments. Now, what's the verdict on this one? Do you want to guess? That it's true? They said probably true. What is this, pundit fact? Um, <laughs> Pants on fire? Yeah. <laughs> Which is something we didn't talk about in the previous story. Yeah, well, I had an issue with the pants on fire. They classified real, like, severe lies, pants on fire, but that was before I understood what the site was. Right, I right. thought it was an actual study because that's what the forward progressive title led me to think, right, right, right. right? But it wasn't a real study. It's just, you know, pundit fact, <laughs> right. ranking these. So. so anyway, CIA predictions from 2000 about the year 2014. Right. So it's probably true that international affairs are increasingly determined by large and powerful organizations rather than government, though it is hard sometimes to distinguish between non-state actors and state actors. They say just look at the Islamic State or the possibly not North Korean hackers who took down Sony. The possibly not. Okay, what's number two? Between now and 2015, terrorist tactics will become increasingly sophisticated and designed to achieve mass casualties. Now, this was in the year 2000, right. which was a year before 9-11. Right. So. And the verdict obviously was definitely true. Sadly, this prediction became true within months. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, the next prediction, Iraq and Iran will develop long-range missiles in the near future. Iran could be testing such weapons by as early as the coming year and cruise missiles by 2014. Still not true. They said the verdict is both true and false. Iran is definitely working on an ICBM. It's an intercontinental ballistic missile. Thank you. And both are, it's not true. So who, what, what's this article from? Businessinsider.com. Okay. So they're working on it, but they have not achieved, nor are they near achieving an ICBM. They're just not. It's not true. Right. So, the, yeah, they said that Iran only, not Iraq, well, is working right, on it. Right. And they won't <laughs> Iraq be... Iraq is now effectively a parking lot. Right. <laughs> and they won't be testing it until next year. So... Right. And we'll see the results of the test, which will not be... Ultimately, it won't be... They will not be able to reach LA or DC. It, it just won't. So the world population will grow by more than 1 billion to 7.2 billion. That is scarily accurate. Verdict true. Yeah, that's pretty true. What is the population? Does it say in the article? No. Huh. Wow. 
a billion people inside of 15 years. That's that's scary. Yeah. Energy resources will be sufficient to meet demand. I would say that's true. Yes. Verdict is nailed it, apparently. (laughs) Companies. That's the official verdict. Nailed it. (laughs) Companies are actually canceling plans to dig up more natural gas because oil is abundant right now. Right now. Well, also because of OPEC not wanting to give up their share, their market share. They have have vowed to drive the price of oil down. They're not going to stop their production. So it's driving the price down right now. And that's why we're enjoying low gas prices because they will not stop producing. And the U.S. production of petro- 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 pet- <laughs> petroleum. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was a good time. Uh, the U.S. production of petroleum mm-hmm. is i wouldn't i don't know if it's at all-time highs but it's super super high right now and there's a glut of oil on the market which is driving the price down only because opec does not want to give up their market share and it's also because uh, barack obama <laughs> no it is not it, a president never has an effect even when they when when things get bad <laughs> like prices are super high and the president wants to release the strategic Petroleum reserves. Wow, I don't know what's, what's prob- wrong with you I right now? I don't know. I think I had a stroke mid-sentence. Um, even when they want to release, release the strategic reserves, it still has no effect on the market. It has no effect. Well, that's another thing that's been enjoyable for me is when the gas prices were so high and everyone was struggling and people were blaming Obama and the Democrats were coming out and saying, hey, he doesn't have control over that. Right. But then these prices are amazing right now. And I've seen Democrats, you know, that I'm assuming were... See Republicans. Obama is good. Right. Thanking right. Obama and not in a joking way. Right. So that's been something interesting to see. Anyway, moving on to the next one. China's economy will grow to overtake Europe as the world's second largest, but still behind the United States. I don't know whether that's true or not, because I'm not an an economist. I don't know the numbers. I would say they're damn close, if not. The verdict is (laughs) true-ish. So, what I said? (laughs) (laughs) By some measurements, China's economy is now larger than the U.S. economy. By some measurements. Okay. Whatever that means. Europe will not achieve fully the dreams of parity with the u.s as a shaper of the global economic system Hmm. all right the verdict is correct the report was way too bullish on the european economy which is quote going nowhere these days (laughs) well there's too much regulation in europe relative to well many many things but they they are they're strangling um the any entrepreneurial spirit, spirit. God damn, what is going on with me? Careful, Alexander's drawn up an email right now. I know. I was just, I was thinking of him as I was saying this that the euro and the European Union is strangling entrepreneurial spirit through. I might as well quit while I'm ahead because my speech is just terrible. Through regulation, terrible, terrible. It's not just you know regulating to try to make it good. It's it's over. Like there's certain cheeses. That can't even that like gone away. They don't even make these cheeses anymore because, oh no. right? Because they are whole milk, un unprocessed milk cheeses and stuff, and they, they it's illegal to make them because of the danger of whatever. And they're old world cheeses that are made for centuries, 
that could no longer be made. Okay, well, hopefully, aged Gouda is not in there. Aged Gouda is not in goat there. Goat cheese isn't in there. No. Okay. Well, some goat cheeses, yeah. Anyway, next. Okay, the last one. AIDS, famine, and continuing economic and political turmoil means that populations in many African countries will actually fall. I don't, I don't know. Verdict is false. Africans' population rose from 800 million in 2000 to 1.1 billion in 2014. Mm. So birth rates are high. Indeed. They're... Africans are getting I think it it's, I think it's just bow, chicka, bow, bow. What? <laughs> what? What was that? Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next up, um, this is a story that we were going to talk about, and then we never got to because of Christmas and New Year's, and I got sick and everything else. But they did a study about wine tasting being junk science. And I don't know if you're anything like me or Brittany, but I loves me some wine. And I loves me some cheap wine. I love a 10 or 15 or $20 bottle a lot. And I've had what I would call expensive wine, you know, $100, $200, $250 bottle. And while good, it isn't that much better than than my go-to at Trader Joe's, which is Liberty. And, you know, this 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 article really rang true with me because I do believe in that, that uh, wine tasting, in a lot of ways, is total bullshit. There's just too much variability in the ratings of wines. Mm-hmm. In one study, they had judges who were winemakers, critics, and buyers to wine consultants, academics, and then... Um, sommelier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you had that look of panic on I'm your face. I'm sweating. I, I have sweat on my you upper did, lip. I didn't. I didn't know that that's that, what the word was, but I assumed it was sommelier because you looked at me with that. Oh my God! It's foreign. I don't know what it is, or how. To, I know you know what it is. No, I do know what it is. I just can't say it. Pronouncing it. Yes. A sommelier. And I don't like pronouncing things incorrectly. <laughs> Because it's a problem. So in these tests where they would be asked to rate wines, the judges rated wines on a scale running from 50 to 100. And results from four years of experiments published in the Journal of Wine Economics. Wow, really? Yeah. There's a Journal of Wine Economics? There is, everybody. I wonder if the theft at the French Laundry is going to make that list. Hmm. Or make that publication. I do not know. Which... We'll get to when we get done talking about this. Yeah. It's not on the, on the rundown board, but we'll talk about it. Apparently we will. Anyway, results in that journal mm. show that a typical judge's score varied by plus or minus four points over three blind tastings. A wine deemed to be a good 90 would be rated as an acceptable 86 by the same judge minutes later, and then an excellent 94. Really? So... Tasting the same wine, the same judge would give it a different score. Yes. Holy shit. Some of the judges were far worse, others better, with around 1 in 10 varying their scores by just plus or minus 2. So that means that it's pretty much a, a junk science. Junk science, yeah. Even two two points. I mean, the difference between a 92-point wine and a 94-point wine 
is a big deal. Right. They say a few points may not sound like much, but it's enough to swing a contest. And I, I gold medals are worth a significant amount of extra sales for wineries. I didn't know that that's what this article was about. Because I thought they were going to say that because of the the difference in people's palates, it's a, it's a problem. Because we've we've gotten wines that were 94 on the Wilford Wong scale or a 94 on Wine Spectator scale and I thought they were shit wine. Th- that has happened many, many times. Now, that's just the difference. I would assume that would be just the difference between the critic and my palate, the difference in the palate. And I think your palate, Brittany, is more advanced than my palate. You mm-hmm. like wines that I don't really like. Right. I, I like more easy drinking stuff. And that it that's boring, super boring for you. Mm-hmm. And you you your palate is it's rock star for as new as it is. Anyway, we're I'm I don't want to s your d about. Well, it, no, but. continue because also um <laughs> no, I also have a weird palate too where I like sour things. So I like. Well, you like more complex wines than I do. Yeah, and I like them. I can do I can do it. It just for me if like there's things that I really like that you're like that's eh, boring to me. Yeah. So it's not that I don't like what you like. It's just the stuff that I I like is too too mundane for you. But anyway, that's that's what I thought this was going to be about. I didn't know that it was certain wine tasters tasted the same wine and gave it multiple a variant of reviews and ratings over the course of just a few minutes. That's that's terrible. Which makes you which makes you wonder well, what the hell's going on with that, with the wine rating industry? Yeah, in that study, each panel of four judges would be presented with their usual flight of samples to sniff, sip, and slurp. But some wines would be presented to the panel three times, poured from the same bottle each time. So it's the same wine. It's not even a different bottle. It's the same wine that's been left open the same amount. It's breathed, it's it's opened up, it's... I, I, I find that fascinating. I, I don't know if the, anybody else, if you have any listeners out there who are wine literate or wine O's, wine, wine people. I, typically, I, I find that when people, call, who, who, anybody who considers themselves a wine snob really doesn't know much about wine. And I would not consider myself a wine snob or a wine enthusiast even. I'm just a guy who enjoys a good glass of wine. Well, and they have... Other studies where, you know, they tell people the price of the wine and if it's more expensive, people like it better. If it's cheaper, they don't like it as much or they describe it in a certain way. And if they describe it with words that are, you know, perceived as positive, then they like it more. But if they're negative words, then they don't like it as much. I'm the I'm the opposite about um, expensive bottles because I get it's like going into a movie that you really think is going to be good. And then if it's not, you've built it up so much in your mind that when it doesn't meet that level, you're completely disappointed. I'm the same way with expensive wine. The last several bottles of expensive wine I bought was back in, it was, well, it was probably 2006 and it was the 2002 Joseph Phelps insignia. It was a meritage. And we're completely getting nerdy about wine right now. But I paid a couple hundred bucks per bottle. I bought several bottles of it. And it was awesome. It was Wine Spectator's Wine of the Year that year. And it was awesome. 
But then I've also had a couple bottles of Opus One that I paid 160 bucks or so for and was terrible, was not not happy at all. Right. So th- the expensive thing, I think, for me, just builds builds the expectation up. And then when it doesn't meet it, I get bummed out. Right. There was another study that shows that color affects our perceptions as well. And in this study... Um, like of the label or of the wine? The wine. Oh, okay. They asked 54 wine experts to test two glasses of wine, one red, one white. And using the typical language of testers, the panel described the red as jammy and commented on its crushed red fruit. The critics failed to spot that both wines were from the same bottle. The only difference was that one had been colored red with flavorless dye. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would work on me, although... It probably would, but I really hope that that would not work on me. <laughs> I would be so embarrassed if I was a wine expert. Oh, yeah. Hopefully they didn't tell him. Well, listen, you are the type who always wants to be in, like when you read about these psychological studies, you always say to me, I really would love to do this to see how I would react. Like the Milgram experiment, mm-hmm. which explain to the audience what that is. It's it's well, It's an authority experiment where... Someone of authority who looks like an authority figure. In this case, it was a man with glasses that looks like a professor or a doctor. And they are telling you to administer shocks to someone in another room that you cannot see, but you can hear. And you're giving them a you're reading them a question and they give you an answer. And when they give you a wrong answer, you have to shock them. And each wrong answer they give is going to result in an increase in the level of shock. In the voltage, right. Right. And eventually, you know, the person starts screaming, asking for you to please stop. Stop. No more. No more. My heart's hurting. I have a heart condition. Right. And, you know, people in the study didn't stop. They continued to shock them because the authority figure was saying, no, you must continue. Please continue. The person who's a part of the experiment kept saying no they know they they signed up for this they know what's going on you just need to keep keep it up keep going keep going and so the people kept shocking this guy who's not being shocked in the other room he's just screaming <laughs> but but Brittany always says I, we're going really off track here but Brittany always says guy I would love to be involved in this because I would like to know how I would react right well because I'm someone who's I'm not meek and I'm not someone who you'd is- be able to tell the authority figure in the experiment, no, hey, fuck you, no, I'm not going to hurt this guy, no, no. I feel like I would. Yeah. But then I see so many people that aren't doing that, and I wonder, well, what would I do? Right. Or the other social experiments where you're in a room, and you're sitting in a line with five other people, and someone holds up an object. I tell you what, let's do this. Let's let's stop right here. Let's do a segment on a show about these super interesting psychological studies. Social psychology. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And the audience, and we haven't even mentioned the phone number the whole time, if there are certain social uh, psychology studies that you'd like to hear about or that you know of, 657-464-7609, that's the number. Call us, let us know if you have anything to say about any of the things we've talked about on this show. 657-464-7609, or you can email us, I doubt it at dollamore.com. You know, something we don't do a lot with with the show is Twitter. We've got less than 100 people that follow the account. We don't really use the account very much. I try to tweet all the articles I post to Facebook to Twitter as well. 
I'm just thinking maybe we should do more with the account. Be more active with it throughout the week. Maybe I should, you know, tell some funny jokes or that. That's a joke. Uh, okay. <laughs> that won't be the type of joke I'll tell. I I was getting excited for the funny jokes that could be told. No, but I'm just saying uh, I'm going to be more active with with the I doubt it uh, podcast, which is I doubt it podcast Twitter. So if you're on Twitter. Go follow the at I doubt it podcast Twitter account. Let's get this thing going. Let's actually make it an active working Twitter account where we can both talk to the audience and also post things of note. Let's do that. Are you in agreement? Do you like that idea? I love that idea. I can't get enough of that idea. (laughs) You want to talk about that idea some more? No, here's what I want to talk about. A recent study that found that You need, if you commute to work, if your commute to work is an hour or more, you need to make 40% more money to maintain the same happiness level as if you were, if you were walk to work. Am I saying that correctly? I mean, I'm fucking it up, but. Yeah, I'll just say it. So a 2004 study. (laughs) Wow. Found that people with longer commutes reported lower overall life satisfaction, all other things being equal. They calculated that you would need a 40% raise to offset the added misery of a one-hour commute. The added misery. Well, apparently those people... Well, this was 2004, so I doubt it with Dollamore didn't exist then. But I'm sure that there are some some people in our audience who, who listen to our show and others who don't find that level of misery. Right. When I commuted back in... Well, it was in the 90s when I worked on Capitol Hill... In D.C., um, I commuted more than an hour a day each way, and I wasn't miserable because I listened to to talk radio and stuff. Right. I mean, you know, if you find something to do in that time that provides you some sort of emotional benefit, then I'm sure you won't feel that it's lost. But that's a remarkable number, though. Yeah. 40% more money. Right. So they gave advice to use use money to buy yourself better time. Don't buy a slightly fancier car so that you have heated seats during your two hour commute. Buy a place close to work so you can use that final hour of daylight to kick a ball around in the park with your kids. So they're saying that if you make a hundred thousand dollars and you walk to work, that if you work with a dude who commutes an hour, he needs to make $140,000 in order to be as happy as you. That That's a big, giant difference. Well, you know, commuting isn't fun, and being in traffic is not fun. Not well, especially you live in L.A. Right. It's not fun. No. If you live elsewhere, if you live in Washington, D.C., and I'm not just saying this because I lived in these two places, but if you lived in... if you, <laughs> But these places are terrible for traffic... Los Angeles is probably the worst traffic. Washington, D.C. is certainly in the top three. I think San Francisco is shitty. Any major, major city. Right. But, you know, when we lived in Boise... There's no commute time. There's no commute time. There's no traffic. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So you'd have to live 70 miles away. For there to be an hour-long commute. And even then, you you wouldn't be in traffic. It would be, like, enjoyable driving. Right. It's 70 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> 75 miles an hour. So, that's, uh, that's a very interesting number. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up with this. Something kind of funny. We were sitting around talking the other day, and Brittany was reading some 
some potential topics for the show. And she read about forgettable U.S. presidents. Right. They did a what percentage of millennials remember these presidents. And they have the top six most memorable and the top six most forgettable. And Jesse immediately was like, oh, is Franklin Pierce and Mildred Fillmore the least remembered? Not Mildred. Milford. You've got the article right in front of you, okay, and you're says, not even getting the name right. It says Millard, so you're wrong, too. <laughs> right. Not Milford. Millard Fillmore. Although you were closer, because it's obviously not Mildred, and <laughs> I don't have my glasses on. This is part again, of the problem. Again, you're, what, a large part of what you do on the show is reading. Yeah, I know. I've been doing great this whole time. I don't know if you noticed. A large part of my job is speaking, and I have not been doing a good no, job. No, I know. It's like throwing me <laughs> off as well. That's why I read Mildred. Oh, that, you're blaming it on me that you read Mildred Fillmore? Okay, so back to the thing. You... Our first female president, everybody, Mildred <laughs> Fillmore. <laughs> okay, you guessed exactly the top two most forgettable to the millennials. Yeah, but listen, if I have a skill set in any subject, if it was the, most, the, the, the two most forgettable physicists, I wouldn't have had any idea. And then I think you guessed at least three more of them. Right. Well, that's... That's- Which I think you guessed Warren Harding, William Henry Harrison, Benjamin Harrison, and then maybe you forgot Chester Arthur. No, no, no. Um, it was Harding I didn't know. Okay. And I don't think I knew Chester A. Arthur either. But anyway, I knew a few of them. But, 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 but so you know, Franklin Pierce is not so forgettable because Barbara Bush, George H.W. Bush's wife, George W. Bush's mom is a direct descendant of Franklin Pierce. Mm, Interesting. I think that's true. Let me say, I'm saying that off the top of my head. I don't know that to be fact. I might be wrong, but I'm almost positive that that's correct. Okay, well, this was kind of a a difficult thing because they asked United States college students... Ugh, idiots. ...surveyed in three different decades. They asked them to recall the president's name and numerical order. Oh, come on. So that's how they... That's how they gleaned. What's Franklin Pierce's numerical order? I, I don't know. Okay, exactly. But I know his name. Yeah, that's you have to know both. Is that's what the question is? You need both. Oh, okay, okay. God, I'm getting mad about it. I am. How dare you? Very question. angry. <laughs> I'm not angry. Wow. I'm just kidding. But so so four percent were able to name Franklin Pierce as well as who his numerical order. It's kind of impressive. Four hmm. percent. I'm saying that's impressive. He's probably super bummed. And then I mean, he's dead, but Okay, well here's here's something that's problematic is that 84% were able to name Abraham Lincoln and his numerical order. Only 84%. Right. 94% George W. Bush, 94% George H. W. Bush, 94% George Washington. Really? Oh, number 1, really? Yeah, Weird. 96% Bill Clinton and 100% Barack Obama. So, wow, really? The current president, <laughs> number 44, they were able to name him. I think that in a couple of years, he will be back down to 96%. Can you go backward? Can you go backward from bra? How far backward can you go from, from BO? Well, I'm looking at the list right now. Oh, so that's no, that can never go mind. all the way. All right, never mind. I'll impress the hell out of everybody right no, now. We're done. <laughs> in fact, we're done. That's it. We're going to wrap it up right here. I ruined everything. No, well, 
what you should have done, what would have been super funny. That would have made me a charlatan. Is to lie and then at the end go, yeah, well, I had the list here the whole time. <laughs> I could have made a song out of it and impressed everybody. It would have been awesome. Had you go, uh, uh, let me think, uh, Barack Obama, uh, George W. Bush, uh, and then go through them. It would right, have been great. Right. All right. Listen, everybody, we're here for you twice a week for about an hour and change each episode. We love you very much for sticking with us. We love you very much for tuning in for as long as you do, for as many times as you do per week. If you'd like to support us by other than listening and participating when you call 657-464-7609, there's a link on the website dollamore.com and up in the right hand corner of that site there is a support the show link at which you'll find a amazon you hear that a amazon (laughs) an amazon search bar where you can buy a book right now i'm reading arguably essays by christopher hitchens which is pretty awesome because it's not one particular topic through and through some of it is 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 book reviews that he reads uh or he that he's written he's written reviews on books that he's read god damn i'm all over the place and uh some of it's just stuff that was from vanity fair and everything anyways a great book arguably essays by christopher hitchens it's giant give you a lot of it's a great uh toilet read cuz the essays are just you know relatively short page 2 3 that could be found on the amazon search bar Um, There's also the link to Patreon. So if you want to be more supportive than just listening, and let me tell you, listening is absolutely, we are very appreciative of it. We we have built an audience over the course of uh, less than a year now, and we are... We are more than grateful with how the, the progress has has come out. We are we are more than grateful with our international audience as well as uh, the locals. We love you very much. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Because I already don't like too much customer service. <laughs>